Welcome to the Family Worship Center podcast. Each week we bring you our message from our Sunday morning services at Family Worship Center in Beaumont. Would your life and how you live it be able to convict you with circumstantial evidence that you are a believer in Christ? Would your actions and how many people you have shared the gospel with convict you as being a believer? See, our job number one as a believer in Christ, is to share what we have found out. We hope you find this message encouraging. This morning, I just want to take a few minutes and share with you. I think, I think this goes along with kind of what the theme is this morning. And, you know, our young people, it's not just our young people, but I think there's a lot of people that are dealing with the question, what do I do? What is life about? Why am I here? That's, that's one of the questions that seems to be very, very prevalent in this day and time in which we live. A lot of people are seeking, what, what am I here for? What is life all about? Is this all there is? And of course, what we know is this is not all there is. But if we ask the question, what to do? What do, what do I do? And I want a couple of scriptures, Deuteronomy chapter 10. And this is what Deuteronomy chapter 10 says. It should be on the screen for you, and it is. And now Israel, this is specifically to Israel, but in essence we are in that group with Israel. Uh, Galatians chapter 3 tells us that if we are of faith, then we are Abraham's descendants. Uh, Later on in chapter 3 of Galatians, Paul says if we are in Christ, then we are Abraham's children. So Israel... Is Abraham's descendants. And what, what does the Lord your God require of you? This is probably one of the few scriptures in the, in, the, in the Bible that is so pointed toward what we sometimes ask. What am I supposed to do? What is life about? He says, what does the Lord require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God. Is that on the screen? There we go. He requires... Only that you fear the Lord, that's a reverence, that's not fear like, oh, I'm so scared of God. That's a reverence, that whenever we get a view of God and how awesome he is, the only thing we can do is just reverence him, give him honor and glory that is due him. So it says he only requires that you fear the Lord your God and that you live in a way that pleases him. And love him and serve him with all your heart and soul. Now this particular uh, scripture is very reminiscent of one in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 22 says this. This is uh, one of those times whenever they were trying to trap Jesus, trying trying to trick him. And this guy comes up and he says, Teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied that you love, must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second one is equally important. So even though it's number two, it's number one A. Okay, so it's not one and two. It's equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, that we love other people as much as we would love ourselves. Put your neighbor uh, and on the same level that you are. And he goes on and he explains this. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets 
is based on these two commandments. So if you have ever wanted the Cliff Notes version of your Bible, all the law and the prophets, if you've got one of these pages in your Bible that like mine does, it says New Testament, and you put your thumb there, and then you go backwards all the way to the index, and you say, what, do, what sums all this up? Okay? The easy statement is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the Reader's Digest condensed version of all that in your Bible. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's what God requires. When you ask the question, maybe we're waffling in life and we're just saying, what is this all about? What am I supposed to do? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That changes, or should change, everything about how we view our world. Okay? So let's pray, and then we'll get into the message this morning. Father, thank you for what we have already experienced today. Truly, truly, we could leave here and say we'd been in your presence. But Lord, you want to say something to us. You want to speak to us through your word today. And Lord, I think it's so important that we hear your voice. Lord, so many things that cry for our attention in this day and time, and Lord, we need to filter all that out, and we need to hear your voice above everything else. So Lord, this morning, would you speak to our hearts? Would you change our minds? And Lord, as I have prayed so many times, would you make us into something that looks a whole lot less like us and something that looks a whole lot more like your dear son, Jesus? And we thank you for doing that. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. So, if we sum all that up, what am I to do? What to do? You can sum everything up about what we're supposed to do for God by saying we've got to worship him. Okay? That, that kind of sum, just is a summary of everything that we owe to God. Everything that he requires of us. And you might say, well, why should I worship God? Why, why should I be in that mode? Why should I have that in mind? Romans chapter 11 says, For everything comes from him, everything exists by him, by his power, and is intended for his glory. Everything created by him, for him, for his glory. Everything created by him, for him, for his glory. Everything, okay? Everything created by his power for him. Now, that's, that, that's pretty powerful, and it ought to change how we look at things. If somebody's wrestling with, why am I here? What is, you know, the existential question of life? Why am I here, and what am I supposed to do? I am, you know, therefore, I, you know, all that kind of stuff, all that physiological stuff ought to be changed by how we perceive God, that everything was created by him for him. Every tree, every leaf, every blade of grass, every cloud in the sky, every person created by him for him. That begins to give us a little bit of purpose for everything that we see. Now, there are some things that are, as you've heard me say, uh, sin came in and entered into God's perfect creation. 
It broke this planet that we live on. It broke us as people, and it also broke our relationship between God. So there were some things that got twisted. I mean, you have sometimes we have a hard time distinguishing everything being created for him, by him, and for his purpose and for his glory. Okay? One of the questions, one of the many questions I've got is, God, how could a mosquito be created by you for you, for your glory? Or a wasp. How many of you hate wasps as bad as I do? Okay? Spiders that bite and all that kind of stuff. I think that that wasp probably was intended to give kisses originally instead of sting you. Amen? And it got twisted and broken in the fall of mankind. I, uh, again, there'll be one of those things. God, would you just explain that to me? It won't take but a second. And he'll be able to explain it to me. Why wasps and mosquitoes and things like that exist. But ultimately, it comes down to this. Everything was created by him for him. And so, whenever we begin to wonder about why we're here and what am I supposed to do while I'm here, if we perceive it through the realm of, I was created by God for God, then all of a sudden, I need to get in touch with my Creator and see what His purpose was for making me, putting me here for such a time as this. What is it that I'm supposed to accomplish? Why? Because I'm made by God for God. It even talks about it, Paul talks about it in, first, in Colossians, the first chapter, and he said everything is being created through Him for Him. So, if we are going to have a true purpose in life, it ultimately comes down to we're going to worship God. Now, worship is not an adjective. It is not a description. Sometimes we use worship as a descriptor. We're having a worship service. What does that mean? We're having a service. The adjective is it's worship. But worship is a verb. Worship is something we do. Worship is something that requires something of us. It requires us to, to have a, a, a purpose, a reason, a, a duty, if you will, for doing it. Okay? And too many times I run into people, well, I'm just not a worshiper. I'm, I just, I have a hard time expressing myself and I'm just not a worshiper. Oh, yes, you are. Everybody, everybody is a worshiper. It's what do you worship? Worship is, and this is, uh, I wrote this down because it's probably the clearest definition of worship. It is our response, both personally and corporately as a group of believers, to God for who He is and for what He has done, expressed in and by the things that we say and do. Worship is not just coming in and singing a few songs. Worship is not just lifting up our hands whenever we get that Holy Ghost goosebump sensation and saying hallelujah a couple of times. Worship is something that we say and something we do. And it can be summarized this way. It can be what do we place as priority in our lives for those people that say I'm just not a worshiper. I'll tell you this, I can take five minutes in somebody's life and I can tell you what they worship. Because we're all worshipers. And sometimes it's, it's uh, you can look at their vehicle and you can say, hey, I'll guarantee you, you worship that vehicle. Why? Because that thing is absolutely pristine, spotless, shiny, sparkly. Put your eyes out. 
Sometimes you can tell it by how they're dressed. And you can say, hey man, part of their worship is how they look and how they dress and how they do their hair and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes it's about what they do. You can look at their vehicle and you can see that bumper sticker that says, I'd rather be fishing, I'd rather, you know, be golfing, whatever it is. That's worship. It is worship. Here's my deal, and sometimes I think about this in my own life. If all of a sudden they were to outlaw Christianity and somebody brought charges against you that you are a Christian and you didn't have any opportunity to say anything, take out the words, would the circumstantial evidence in your life convict you as being a Christian? Amen. Or, oh me. Think about it for just a second. If somebody were to do an inventory of your vehicle or your home, would it show that you were a Christian without you saying, oh yes, I'm a Christian? Or your Jesus t-shirt? Or whatever. Would your life and how you live it be able to convict you with circumstantial evidence that you are a believer in Christ? Would your actions and how many people you have shared the gospel with convict you as being a believer? See, our job number one as a believer in Christ is to share what we have found out. It is to share the good news. We are the good news people. You've heard me say that a bunch. We are the good news people, not the bad news people. And sometimes we tend to be the bad news people. We want to talk about all the bad stuff that's happening in the world and this and that and the other and blame this and blame that. Hey, we're the good news people. Would your conversation over the last week convict you as being one of the good news people? Y'all are getting awfully quiet on me here. I'm not meaning this to be harsh. I'm not meaning this to, to sound overbearing or anything but here's the deal we got to get down to god's business and sometimes we put our business way 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 above him what do we prioritize in our life that shows who we worship or what we worship does your calendar is it so full of me 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 that you have no time for him 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 We just jam-pack our days full of stuff and we, you know, sometimes we're uncomfortable with silence. Sometimes we're uncomfortable with not just being busy. And sometimes we need to stop and give God a moment to speak to us. Because here's the deal. What what are we here for? What is life all about? I'm created for Him, by Him. Shouldn't I be giving Him the multitude of my time? Shouldn't I be making His Word and, and His business a priority in my life it's that's what we're looking for that's that's the stuff that we're going about so you run into these people i'm not a worshiper oh yes you are and it shows by again let me read that definition worship is our response both personally and corporately to god for who he is for what he has done expressed in and by the things that we say and do Time is short. I believe that. I believe that if we look at this Bible and all the signs that it gives us of the times whenever he will be coming back, we're on on the short end of that 
time frame. I don't know when it'll be, but the thing is, you can look at it, and he says that even those that are just kind of hanging on the sides can see when summer gets near that, you know, everything starts to bloom and everything. It's starting to bloom, okay? The time is here. And so the thing that we've got to do is begin to put him first, begin to reverence him, begin to, to have that knowledge and wisdom and understanding of how we are to honor him. And I read the scripture last week, it's First Chronicles 16, it says, uh, reverence the Lord. And he is glorious and strong and gives the, uh, give the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offerings and come into his presence. We, we've got to get down to worshiping him. We've got to get down to honoring him. We've got to obey him. It's as simple as that. What am I here for? I'm here to worship him. I'm here to reverence him. I'm here to obey what he says do. Okay. And so many times in this day and time, it's not a popular message to say obey the commands of God. But here's the deal. The Lord laid that out so that it would keep us from trouble. Sometimes you run into people that say, oh, the Bible's just a list of don'ts. Just a bunch of stuff that we can't do. God's a party pooper. But here's the deal. It's just like us as parents. We don't keep our kids from doing stuff that's fun. We try to keep them out of trouble. Your kid wants to eat the chocolate cake first, and you say, no, you need your broccoli. Okay? And the kid says, Mom and Dad are no fun. They're just a party pooper. Because I want to eat that chocolate cake. But no, you need your vitamins and minerals. We know better. We know that chocolate cake has very little, if any. Might have some good stuff. And, and I'm surely going to get an amen out of that. It should be on everybody's menu, right? Okay, yeah, so thank you, Merle. <laughs> thank you for that hearty amen. So, but the deal is, we try to guide our kids along the right path. We try to get them to do the right thing. Sometimes they don't understand that. Sometimes it's way above their, their level of thinking that we're trying to steer them in the right direction. They see it as, oh, it's just a big list of don'ts. Dad's a party pooper and all this kind of stuff. But ultimately, it's that we have their best interest at heart. And so the Lord, all the way through this Bible, if you look at it like a parent talking to a little child, then all of a sudden we begin to get a clearer understanding of how God wants us to, to thrive and to be. In Deuteronomy, he tell, he's telling Israel, they're getting ready to go in and take over the promised land. He said, I want you to obey my commands. I have given them to you, and therefore you're good. Through the prophet Jeremiah, he said, I know the plans that I have for you. There are plans to do you good and not evil and to bring you an expected end and to give you a hope and a future. Through Moses and Deuteronomy, he says, and today I'm commanding you that you obey everything that I have told you to do. And if you'll do that, you're going to be blessed. And if you refuse to do that, guess what? You're going to reap the reward of a curse. Now, that can... Again, back to the kids with the chocolate cake. They can eat chocolate cake for a meal, okay? And they're not just going to fall over 10 minutes from now. But if they don't eat their broccoli, they don't eat their vegetables, they don't get the good sustenance that they need, then on down the line somewhere, there's going to be a payday someday. You can eat chocolate for a while, but ultimately 10, 15, 20 years down the road, that... Diet of sugar and chocolate is going to be a payday someday. 
They're going to have cavities in their teeth. They're going to have diabetes. They're going to have all this kind of stuff. And that's what God's doing by telling us all the stuff that we need to stay away from. And it's as simple as this. He says, if you'll obey me, you're going to have blessing. If you don't obey me, cursing's waiting for you. When you look at it that way, from the standpoint of we're created by God for God, for his pleasure, for his glory, then guess what? It ought to change how we do things. It ought to change how we live. It ought to change how we think. It ought to change how we perceive the world around us. We ought to every day wake up with the idea of what can I do for God today? What can I do today that will bring him glory? What can I do today? Not that will benefit me. Not that will do something for me. Not that will make me feel good. Something that will benefit God and bring glory to him. Simple as that. So he says that we are to to reverence him, to obey him, to serve him. And there's all kinds of scriptures. I've got all kinds of stuff written down, but I've already... That thing's not even close to where where I had it, so... It's hard to go by it. But the second part of that, the scripture in Deuteronomy and the scripture in Matthew that we read, what's the most important command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's what we talked about. And love your neighbor as yourself. So the thing that we've got to do is love God, worship God. As, as we've talked about this whole year off and on, we've got to know him and love him and make him known. That's job number one. And so that brings us to the second part of that. If we're going to love our, our neighbors, ourselves, then we've got to love people. And it doesn't mean... I've always drawn a big distinction between loving people and liking people. Okay? Sometimes there are people that you are going to meet in life that you don't like them. And I'm going to let you off the hook right now. You don't have to like them. Big difference. Agape love. Agape is loving a person because of who they are, not what they're doing for you. We've talked about that many, many times in here. Two major kinds of love that are talked about in the Bible. That's phileo love and agape love. Okay, Phileo love is a friendship love. It's a tender affection. It's a reciprocated relationship. It's, uh, it's the, the word that you really mean whenever you say, I, I love my dog, I love my truck, I, I love that movie. It's reciprocated. You got something and you feel something. Okay? If your dog, if you reach down and go and pet your dog one day and it just bites your hand through and through, that's not very reciprocated. Okay? And I might give our little dog... Angie's little Pedro, I might give him a second chance, okay? Because he's been with us a long time. It's a bad day, he was dreaming, whatever. If I reach down there the next day and I'm going to pet him and he bites my hand through and through, he's out of here, okay? <laughs> Angie says no. Okay, he's out of my area. <laughs> Why? Because that's not being reciprocated. It's a one-way relationship. And, and just like, uh, that's, that's what we tend to use for I love something. I love that movie. I love my truck. I love my, I love my dog. We even, you know, we have friends. I love my friend. Okay? 
But if you get them a gift and, and you know, it's their birthday and you get them this, man, I put all so much time into thinking about this and I got them this gift and then my birthday comes and I don't get anything. Well, maybe they didn't know when my birthday was. Maybe I didn't, maybe I didn't put enough hints down. You know how we tend to do that. Well, I got my birthday coming up next week. <clears throat> and, and we throw those hints down. Maybe they didn't pick up those hints that I was putting down. But Christmas comes and I get them this marvelous, marvelous gift and they get me nothing. What's going to happen before their next birthday? They get marked off the gift list. Amen? Why? Because it's not being reciprocated. Doesn't mean you doesn't love them. And that agape love is, is best represented by the fact of what Jesus said on the cross whenever these people who had just nailed him to a cross, plucked his beard out, put a crown of thorns on his head that the thorns went all the way to his skull and blood rushing down his face. And he looked out on that crowd and said, Father, forgive them because they don't know even half of what they've done. It was expressing his love for them, not because of anything they had done for him. fact is, they had done a lot against him. It's the kind of love that whenever the love of God is expressed in, not that we loved him, but that he first loved us while we were yet sinners. While we were doing stuff against God, he loved us. He didn't like us, he loved us. And so the thing that we've got to do in realizing that we're made by God and for God, we were created by him and for him and for his glory. And if our ultimate purpose in this life is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself, then that goes beyond reciprocation. We've got to get to that point of love to where we love people just because of who they are not what they're doing for us. Because see, here's the thing. It's awfully easy, and we love to love people that are just like us. We love to love people that think like we think and act like we act and dress like we dress and smell like we smell. But in this nation, this is what I see Happening in this nation, there is such a lack of love, agape love, that we're headed in the wrong direction. It has gotten to the point that if we can't agree, agree politically, we might agree on every other aspect of life, but if we can't agree politically, we hate them. We don't just not like them, we hate them. And it's got to start somewhere. And, I, and I'm going to tell you, it's got to start here. It's got to start in the house of the Lord. That we begin to love people not because of what they're doing for us or that they agree with us or act like us. It's that we've got to love them because they're a person. And they've got a soul. And they need to go to heaven one day. That we don't view them as an enemy just because they might pull the, the different lever than we pull or push the different button than we push in that voting booth. Or because they look different. Or because their traditions are different. But that we begin to love people 
and look at them through the spectacles of heaven and begin to say, I'm going to, I'm going to do my very best to remove my opinions then I'm going to do my very best to remove how I feel about this situation. And I'm going to try to objectively look at this person like God looks at this person. Because like Paul says, there was a day that I was the enemy of God. There was a day when I was doing stuff that was displeasing to God. There was a day whenever I didn't know God and didn't care about God. And so all of a sudden, if, 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 again, this existential question, why am I here? What am I supposed to do? It clears it up. What does the Lord require of us? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor like you love yourself. <laughs> 